We're on our series called, Who Am I and Why Am I Here? We're trying to figure out what God has created us to be, who he's created us to be, and what he wants us to do while we're here. So we're excited about doing this. It's been really enjoyable for me, and I pray that God's speaking to you because this whole series is birthed out of something God was speaking to me. So there's a lot of application for my life in this and how God's straightening me up and getting me to fly right and all of that and readjusting my thinking and helping me to deal with condemnation and dealing with insecurities or dealing with issues or dealing with confusion or whatever it may be, I believe this is valuable for all of us. And I believe it's something that will help every person in this world if they can find the answer to these two questions. I believe it's what we are about as a church. We're about two words, who and why. We want you to know who you are and why you are. And we believe you can do it through uh, discovering Jesus' freedom, purpose, and fulfillment. So let's get our Bibles out. Sermon notes out, your uh, version Bible, all of those things, get them out. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 11. Woo! Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to start looking there in just a moment at what God wants to say. Who am I and why am I here? Talking about our identity and our purpose. How important is it to know who we are in Christ? We've talked about this. Remember this, the story of the sons of Sceva? We saw, we saw how important it was to know who we are. The sons of Sceva go to cast out an evil spirit. You remember, I just want to throw this in to summarize real quickly. That want to go to cast out an evil spirit. And they say to the evil spirit, we command you to come out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And you remember the evil spirit looks back up and says, Jesus I know. Paul I know, but... Who are you? Who, 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 who? Oh, I really want to know. I'm not sure he said it that way. I'm not sure those were the exact words, but <laughs> maybe he just said, Who are you? I don't know. But I know this from that story that knowing who we are in Christ is important because if we don't know, the enemy can overpower us in those areas and bring control in our life. So we know that we, we need to know who we are. So we talked about tests we need to continually pass. When I say these tests, remember, I'm not talking about a one-time deal. It's not like in school where you pass one test and yay, no more school. I'm talking about these identity tests that we've been talking about. We have to pass them every day. What was the first test we talked about? Come on, students. Lordship, thank you. Lordship, this is about submission. This is about who's the boss. For a certain generation, this is the Tony Danza test. For some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But this is the who's the boss test. Who's running the show? Who's in control of our life? I'm not going to know who I am if I don't know whose I am, who's Lord. You know, one of the first, I'm going to throw this in just free. One of the biggest things we need to pass in our Lordship is our feelings and emotions. One of the biggest things that robs me of who I am in a moment is my feelings and my emotions, or my feelings and emotions. They, they will rob me of my identity because I will think how I feel is how I am. How I feel right now is who I am. We need to get them out. They're not your Lord. Feelings and emotions are not your Lord. So that was the first test. Second test was about the popularity test. It's about approval. We want to be popular. We want to be approval. Everybody wants somebody to like them, but real, we realize that we want the popularity of heaven over the popularity of the earth. We want the approval of the Father more than we want approval of people. Amen? Amen. We say that. We say that because that's the right church answer. But how many of us fold up our tent of our convictions around other people because we don't want them to make fun of us? 
How many of us throw some shade on our own convictions around certain groups of people because we don't want to be too religious? Oh, Jesus. That was last week, Chad. Move on. Understand. Understand. (laughs) Popularity test. Popularity test. But today is a big one. Today we're going to pass the comparison test. Comparison test. The word comparison, the comparison test is about the uniqueness of who you are. And we want you to know that you are unique this morning, that you are not an accident. You are, you're very special. Over 7 billion people on the earth today. And you're not just unique amongst those 7 billion. You're unique amongst any human being that's ever been created in the history of mankind. There has never, ever, ever, ever been your combination of your DNA, your body, your personality, your looks, your way of thinking, your tone of voice, that has never, your interests, that has never come together in one unit called you ever. Ever. So why are we wasting that one thing to try and be somebody else? I am so unique that there's never been anything like me. Why are you laughing? I didn't think it was funny. You're the same. There's never, ever been anything like you ever. And yet we constantly try and be something else. I get it. I'm, the, I'm, I'm not saying you have this problem. I'm saying we have this problem of comparison. We see something else we like and we think I need to be like that. We see somebody else we like. We see somebody else's house. We see somebody else's car. We see somebody else's job. We see somebody else's looks. Don and I were talking about this in preparation for this series, and and, and we we was having an honest conversation, and and she was talking about things that she wished were different about herself. And I was talking about things I wish were different about me, and I, I said, do you realize how many ladies are saying the same thing about you? Each and every one of us have something we wish was different about us, but even you just assume that everybody else is different and they don't look at the same way you do. But I'm telling you, everyone has something they would love to change. I don't care how they look, they would change something about their life. The best supermodel, male or female, whoever it is looks-wise, they have something about themselves they don't like. And guess what they see in the mirror, that one thing they don't like every time. Comparison, it's, it can eat us up. So let's see what we need to talk about this. Because we, we deal with this on certain levels and, and people compare in a lot of different ways. Anybody ever been around the one-upper? <laughs> Don't you love the conversation with the one-upper? That no matter what you say, they're like, oh yeah? Wait till you hear my story. Your car has how much horsepower? Oh really? <laughs> yeah, mine used to. Now it has 750. Okay, or, or, or sometimes people are even one-uppers on negative stuff. You, you know what I'm talking about. You come up to me and you're like, hey, I really just need to share this. This is what's going on in my life. They're like, oh, you think you've had a bad day. Let me tell you about my day. You think you've got it bad. You know, we're constantly comparing. And here's what it's robbing us of. It's robbing us of our identity. So don't be the one-upper. Sympathize with someone, empathize with them, let them talk. When your spouse comes home from work, let's don't have a competition over who's had more stress that day, so who gets justified to sit and do nothing for a little while? Oh yeah, tell me about your day. I get the couch first. 
that applies, just bump your neighbor. So let's look what the Bible says about comparison. Look in Matthew chapter 11. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John the things which you see, which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, I want to give you a little backdrop to this story to get to the point. We're talking about comparison today, and when we're done, what I want you to know is the value of who you are, and you're not trying to compare your life and your situations to someone else's. So this story, I believe, is a good picture of that to me. And it starts off there in verse 1 with Jesus talking to his disciples, and it says he left there, and he began to teach and preach in their cities and the teach and preach. So most of the time you'd put those two together. He's teaching and preaching. It's all the same thing. It's not the same. It's not the same. Teaching is providing information. Preaching is declaring something or pronouncing something. It's more inspiration. So Jesus did both. He knew we needed both in our life. We need information on how to do something and we need inspiration or motivation to do something. We got to have both of those. See, because if you just have information, then you can know what to do, but you don't want to do. You know what I'm talking about? That you say something to your kids, you say, hey, hey, will you go and do this? I don't want to. They know what to do, they just don't want to do. Maybe you're the same way, you got areas of your life that you got the information, you know that list of things that you're supposed to be doing around the house. You know what to do. It's not because you don't have information. You just don't have the want to. And sometimes you got to say it like that. You got to have the want to. Turn to your neighbor and say, You got to want to. You got to want to. You got to want to. We can't just have information. We got to have inspiration too, because here's what inspiration does inspiration helps you overcome the resistance of applying your information. Catch what I'm saying. Inspiration helps you overcome the resistance to reply. Just because you know what to do and you start to do it, how many knows you have some resistance to that? I'm tired, I'm this, I'm busy, I'm whatever, all kinds of things. If you have the information, I know what to do, but I'm not inspired, then you're not going to get anything done. So we got to have the the inspiration. But if you just have the inspiration alone, (laughs) if you got the inspiration alone, then you're not going to know what to do. So you can, inspiration alone is where I'm pumped up. I want to do something. I want to make a change. I want to make a change in my life. I want to change something around. I'm going to turn the corner. It's going to be different. I am motivated to change. Sometimes you're motivated because you have to be motivated. Sometimes the doctor motivates you. Sometimes a spouse motivates you. Sometimes a friend motivates you. Sometimes you get motivation because desperation. Anybody ever been motivated because of a desperate situation? Yes, but inspiration without the information, you won't want to do it. We, it's football season, one of my favorite times of year. Football starts back up. And in football, you have what's called a Lombardi speech. And Lombardi speech is that locker room speech. And you can do it in any sport. I'm just using it for football analogy. But you can use it in volleyball and softball, baseball, whatever. But it's that where the coach just starts pumping you up. You just get all psyched up and like, we're going to go out there and tear somebody's head off. Come on, let's do it. And be good sports while you're doing it. You know, you get pumped up, but that's inspiration. But 
You can get all pumped up all you want, but if you don't know what you're doing, as soon as you go out there and try and make a tackle, if you don't know how to do it, hype is not going to make a tackle. Same way, you can get pumped up, I'm going to change my life. You can get inspired in church. It's it, tomorrow, Monday, the, the greatest day of the world, Monday. Every dream is birthed on a Monday and dies Monday afternoon. So we can just say, I'm inspired. You can get inspired in church, I'm going to do something. But if you don't have the information on what to do, it's never going to stick. And that's why Jesus said you need both of these. But look what happens with, with John in this story and how comparison came in through that. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, heard in prison. Everybody say in prison. In prison. That word in prison just means a place of bondage. A place of bondage. God's desire for us all is to hear about the works of Christ so that we can be liberated from any bondage that the enemy try and puts on our life. John is in prison. He's in a place of bondage. And God's wanting us to hear about the works of Christ. I want people to know that are facing any type of bondage today, there is freedom available through Jesus Christ. Now, bondages can be a lot of stuff. We use the word bondage and people get freaked out. Like, what are you talking about? Bondages can be attitudes, can be behaviors, can be addictions, can be fears, can be insecurities. It can be all kinds of things that we get in bondage to. But here's a big one that we're going to talk about today, thing that will bring bondage into our life is comparison. When I begin to compare myself to other people over and over and over, it brings a bondage into my life. And this is what happened. He's, he's in prison, and, and he's, he's finding out, hey, some things are bringing bondage into my life, and I'm, I'm, one of them is comparison. So look what he says in verse 3. He sent them, he heard about the works of Christ, and heard about what Jesus was doing, and, and he sent word to them, he said, are you the coming one? That word coming one means Messiah. Are you the son of God? So here's what John's asking. Are you the son of God? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Now, we got to get some background to understand. John's asking this question, but what was John's original assignment? John's original assignment was to be the prepare the way for Jesus. He's connected to Jesus. They're relatives. John's mom, Jesus' mom were cousins on their mother's side. So they're related. So remember John the Baptist, uh, when Elizabeth came over, or Mary came to Elizabeth's house, John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb, and when Mary spoke, John the Baptist leaped inside her womb, and the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from that very day. So John the Baptist and Jesus are connected in multiple ways. Here's some things that John the Baptist even said about Jesus. Here's some things he said. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He must increase, but I, may, I must decrease. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Look what he said here. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Those, all those things came out of the mouth of John the Baptist. The same guy who right now is saying, are you the one, are you the coming one, or should we look for another? What happened? What happened? See, in the beginning of his assignment, it was clear what his connection was with Jesus. But how many knows this? I've found this to be true. Serving Jesus for a while and pastoring for a while, you start out blazing a trail, but in your assignment, eventually you're going to come into what I call assignment adversity. Adversity. 
It's opposition. It's resistance. John is in prison. He's not in prison because he has a prison ministry. He's not there encouraging people and loving on them. He's there because he got thrown in prison by Herod because he told Herod that it wasn't right for him to have his brother's wife. How many knows back then the king could do whatever he want? And you tell the king, you're wrong. You can't have that woman. Oh, yeah? In jail. There was no court. There was no defense attorney. So John's in jail because he was doing his assignment. It wasn't, we can get in jail for doing something wrong, but we can also find ourselves in places when we're even doing what God asked us to do, and it turns out to be a place that we didn't expect we would be in. It's not all roses and and happy endings sometimes when you're doing what God asks you to do. Sometimes we run into rough patches. So John was confident about his connection to Jesus, but something happened when he got in prison. And I want you to see this as he began to question some things. He He couldn't control getting thrown into prison, but he could control what he did while he was in prison. Here's what I mean by that. There's some situations that you and I are going to run into when we're serving God. You're going to run into some tough times. You're going to run into some situations you're like, "Mm, I didn't see that coming. You're going to be running into some situations you're like, why is this happening in my life? You're going to run into circumstances where you're like, I don't deserve this. I did nothing wrong. Come on, somebody help me. You're going to run into those moments where you say, hey, it's not my fault. I did did nothing wrong. I did nothing to deserve this. John could have said that, and I think he did. But in those moments, what we do in those moments determines how we're going to respond to the situation. So what happened here, evidently, John began to get frustrated because things weren't going the way that he wanted them to go. How many has ever gotten discouraged because where you are is not where you want to be? See, one of the dangers of comparison, we start comparing where we are versus where we think we should be. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in this situation. I should be out baptizing people, but I'm stuck here in prison. I'm not being effective for the kingdom of God. So you start getting discouraged about where you are. I shouldn't be in this situation. I should be here. Why isn't God coming through for me? Where is he at? So we start to compare who we are versus who we think we should be. We know we're still screwing up. We're still making mistakes and we're still have the same hangups and we get frustrated. We get discouraged. When am I going to break through in this area of my life? If we're not careful, we can get discouraged in that place and it can become bondage because this is what happened with John. John's assignment wasn't going the way he wanted it to go and he starts losing sight of his own identity. He starts losing sight of his own purpose so he starts throwing some shade on the man. We heard last week that that's not a good term. The guy he once celebrated, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he must increase and I must decrease. All of a sudden he starts questioning the one that he was certain about. How many of us has ever gone through a patch where you were certain about God and his love for you and his goodness for you, all of a sudden you started questioning, when is God going to come through? Where is he at in this situation? I can't find God in my spot. Where I am right now, I don't see him. Why, why would he leave me here? It's a real scenario that we all have to face. 
And this is what happens. This is where we start to compare these types of things and it brings problems into our life. So a prison is a place of bondage. And what happens, I wrote this down, when we get in a place of frustration or bondage, the problem is we start to run things through what I call a frustration filter. Here's what a frustration filter will do. When we get in that place, we begin to question things that we were once certain about. It's not that people changed around us or circumstances changed. It's just we're in a different place. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? I'm in a different place now. Usually, it's a good thing. It's like, hey, I don't want to kill them anymore. I'm in a better place now. (laughs) Usually, it's a good thing. It's like I'm in a different place. And it's not that you're geographically in a different place, you're in a different place emotionally, but it can also be a negative thing where sometimes the frustration of not being where you want to be and you're comparing where you should be versus where you are, you can start to get frustrated. And when you get frustrated to that extent, you get in a different place emotionally. And now what you used to be certain about, now you begin to question And now you begin to look at everybody's motives through your own frustration filter. You begin to look at other people through your own frustration filter and you start questioning the validity of their life because you're not happy about your life. Come on, I know I'm touching where we live today. We're dealing with this comparison. I will not know who I am if I'm constantly comparing what God is doing in someone else's life to prove validity to my own. I can't let the success or apparent failure of my life determine who I am when I measure it against somebody else. And this is what John was starting to do. He's like, I'm in a different place now. Look what he said. Are you the coming one? He's like, I feel the frustration. He said, you go and ask my cousin Jesus. Are you even the coming one at all? Are you even the coming one? He was so frustrated. How many of you have experienced this, that you find yourself minimizing other people's success because you're frustrated about the lack of your own? You don't have to raise your hand. I know it's true. See their post on Facebook. Who do they think they are? Oh, they got a new job. Whoop-de-doo. Are they driving another new car? Minimizing other people's success. Someone comes up, gives a testimony. I'm not talking about just in church. Just comes up, says something going great. And you, inside, it eats you up because you're not seeing the... See, you know, when we realize that we're failing this test is when we can't celebrate someone else's successes. I'm telling you, God has just really convicted me in this area. And I'm telling you, if you will take time and apply this art, you will see how many areas of our life we're not walking in victory because we are not satisfied with our own. So we're frustrated with others. And so because we don't see the success we want in our life, we're not seeing the promotion. We're not seeing the financial breakthrough. We're not seeing the marital breakthrough. We're not, not seeing whatever we're wanting to see because we're not seeing it. Then we start to filter everything in our vision. And now we get frustrated. What we once were certain about, we start to question, is God actually going to come through for me? What happened to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? What happened to that? Frustration. Because look what happens. We read on in through here. Jesus responds. You know, he comes up and asks Jesus, are you the coming one? Do we look for another? I love Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. 
The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Look what he said. This is Luke 4, 18 fruit. He just said, am I the coming one? Am I the Messiah? Is that what you're asking? Am I the son of God? Well, here's the fruit. What did the Bible say? You will know them by their fruit. You can say what you want. Proof's in the pudding. Thank you, Southern Illinois. <laughs> Proof's in the pudding. I can say I'm whatever, but I'm telling you, the fruit of your life will reveal the genuineness of your character. You can fool some people once in a while. And I'm not saying you're never going to mess up, but I'm talking about Jesus didn't go back and forth with him and answer theologically. He didn't give him uh, all the prophecies of the Old Testament that he fulfilled. Am I the coming one? Well, have you, did you read in Zechariah? Did you read in Isaiah? Did you read how the Son of God would come out of Bethlehem? He didn't have a theological argument. He prevented, presented proof and fruit. So go tell them the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, poor have the gospel preached to them. He just said, I'm going to be focused on my assignment. Here's what we need in our comparison. When people question the validity of your motives, don't get defensive because you're playing right into the enemy's hand. You just keep producing fruit. Jesus stayed focused on his assignment. Here's my assignment. Let the blind see, deaf hear, lame walk, preach the gospel to the poor. Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because he's anointed me to do all these things. I'm doing it. That's my assignment. My job is not to make sure that your assignment connects with my assignment and you feel good about your assignment in connection to my assignment. I'm just supposed to do what God told me to do. You can't control if everybody else is approving the way you're doing what God asked you to do. Can't do it. We get in that comparison trap. It's going to put us in a place of paralysis, a place where I'm constantly worried about how is this going to affect you if I do what God asked me to do? How's, how's it going to affect everybody else? It's comparison. And God says, I want you to strip away from that. And I want you to listen to me. That's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled. So he gives him the fruit. He says, this is what I did. But look what he says after verse six. He tells him about the fruit, blind and deaf and lame and Dead are raised up, poor of the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Almost like it's an out-of-context statement. It's like it needs to be in a different chapter. I'm like, why are you talking about this? And you throw in there, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. I believe it's because Jesus had a word of knowledge on what John the Baptist's real issue was. And he goes on to brag on John the Baptist. He, he speaks so well of him. But at the issue of why was John the Baptist questioning whether Jesus was the coming one is because he had allowed himself to be offended. And here's what happens when we compare ourselves among ourselves. We give root for the comparison trap to turn into offense. And once it turns into offense, then we're going to forget who we are and we're constantly going to be looking at other people. Look what he says an offense is. Here, you're offended. It's the word scandalizo. It means to entrap. It means to snare or trap something. To give up believing what is right and allow yourself to start believing what is false. Why did he say, blessed is he who's not offended because of me? Because he's saying, John, don't fall for the trap of comparing yourself and your assignment to mine. It's a trap. It's a trap, John. I don't know why you're in jail. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm imagining that John has a right to wonder, hey, my cousin, son of God, get me out of jail. 
I'm thinking he's probably assuming that Jesus should be bailing him out. I would probably have those thoughts. Hey, remember me, the forerunner? Remember me? (laughs) Baptized you? Remember me? Behold the Lamb of God. Remember me eating all the locusts and honey? All that stuff, that's for you. Now what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? That connection, that comparison. He was, he, was wanting to Jesus, he was wanting Jesus to do something. Sometimes, I don't know if this applies to you, sometimes we're experts on what other people are supposed to be doing and novices at what we're supposed to be doing. How many, <laughs> you know, you, you just know clearly what they should be doing. It is obvious the way they should be doing their life. I mean, it's plain as the nose on their face. I can't believe they don't see it. Hey, what are you supposed to be doing? I'm really not sure. Just kind of seeking God right now and just trusting him to open doors. Why are we so sure about others when we don't even know the intricacies of their life? We don't know anything about behind the scenes, but we are absolutely sure this is what they should be doing for me. You don't even know what you're going to have for lunch. You're trying to tell people what they want to do with their lives. And this is what happens. You know, John was like, he was getting upset. He thought Jesus ought to be doing this for him. But notice it says, blessed is he who's not offended. If if you're blessed to not be offended, what are you when you are offended? It's not blessed, whatever it is. So we gotta make sure that we don't allow these frustrations in our life. What happens, the frustrations of comparing our progress where we are versus where we want to be or where we think we ought to be, it can lead to a trap of offense and comparison and all of a sudden we're gonna lose ourselves, lose our identity, forget what God wants to do through us because we're so busy focused on what he's doing through other people. So focused on how God's moving through them and trying to justify whether they deserve God to use them or not. They don't even deserve all that. I know what's going on in their life. Stay with yourself. Don't be offended. Sometimes, sometimes people's frustration with you, you know, John was frustrated with Jesus. Sometimes people's frustration with you isn't about you at all. It's about them and their own issues. Sometimes your frustration with other people is not about them at all. It's about you and your issues. Mm, the first one, you amen a lot stronger. That's okay. <laughs> but see, sometimes we're looking for external solutions to internal identity issues. John had this problem, and I believe we have it in our life. Sometimes we think people should be, uh, how do I want to say it? We think people should be doing more for us or we think people are doing too much to us and so it gives us an excuse not to look inside us. If people would just do more for me, if those people would just stop doing this to me, I could be, if somebody else would do for me, I wouldn't be in this, maybe, maybe, 
Instead of looking for something new to happen to us on the outside, we need to look for something new to happen in us from the inside. Maybe, just maybe, my identity issues is not about other people's frustrations at all. It's about my own frustration with where I think I should be in this moment. And I've gotten frustrated with where I am or where I am not. And it's caused me to be offended. And now I'm looking through a frustration filter. And I'm wondering, beginning to question things that I used to be certain about. Let me give this scripture in closing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 12 says this, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Are not wise. Friends, it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. It's not wise. But here, check out what the word compare means. It's not just to look one against the other. The word compare means a connection. To be connected, to compound, to combine or to compound. So it's not wise to make a connection that goes beyond what God intends it for. And here's, here's what I got out of that. John was connected to Jesus and his assignment was connected to Jesus to a certain point. But after that, his assignment was between him and the Father. John wanted it to stay connected to Jesus so that when, when he was in jail, he was like, Jesus, you should be getting me out. And I don't know why Jesus didn't get him out of jail. I think he should have. When I get to heaven, I don't know, because John the Baptist went on to get his head cut off. And how many knows when Jesus heard that, he was sad. So don't tell me Jesus didn't want to get him out. I don't know all the details. So that's why I'm careful not to make judgments on what I think should happen based on my little knowledge. Be careful you comparing the same with other people. Some people you're connected to, to a certain level, but your, your connection to people, let me say it this way, your connection to people does not limit you. Don't be limited to compare that someone else's success is not your failure. There's room, there's room. Someone else's promotion is not your demotion. Just because someone else is excelling doesn't mean you're regressing. There's room to celebrate and say, hey, I want to win and I know that I'm a winner. I'm frustrated because I'm not seeing it right now, but I'm not going to allow my frustration to create an offense so that I compare myself against other people and I can't celebrate someone else. You know, some people, the only time they celebrate if things are going well with them. Don't be that guy or that gal. Be the bigger person that says, you know what? Someone else's blessing is not my curse. But when we compare where we are versus where we think we should be, we can be like John, we can get frustrated. When's my husband gonna come? I was fine through my teen years. When's my wife gonna come? I was fine through my early 20s. But I'm getting close to 30. Is he truly gonna come through for me? I was certain about it. If I save myself, will it be worth it? Where's my job? Where's my promotion? Where's my, where's my opportunity? That person hasn't been in this church as long as I have. How come they're getting that position? They haven't been serving as long as, as I have. How come they're on the platform singing? I can sing better than them. 
How come that person at your job got that promotion you were really wanting and it just stuck you? You've been wanting a new car. Your neighbor pulls up. Hey, look at my new car. It's awesome. <laughs> you studied hard on the test and you got an 88 person next to you got a 105 says oh look what I got on my test that's <laughs> great I hate them <laughs> what happens what happens we compare ourselves among ourselves it's not wise I want you to know who you are here's what God spoke to me through this when he started putting this together he said Chad I've got one Chad Everett there's, there's other names, other guys named Chad Everett. They're, they're imposters, but they got other people's names. <laughs> other people may have your name, but they will never have your DNA, your personality, your looks, your height, your preferences, your interests. No one ever will have that ever. Don't waste your DNA. Don't waste the uniqueness of who you are trying to be somebody else. I said, well, Lord, you know, every time somebody says, well, I like the way they preach, I like the way they, I want to be like that. He said, no, I need you to be you. But what if they don't, I need you to be you. I don't know what, how it applies for you, but don't lose your identity comparing yourself among yourselves. 